In this week's episode of Show Notes, you're a person with your own opinions, and while they may be wrong, I'm going to let you have them. I'm dead. Icon. It was so good. recently deceased by that comment. Have we talked about once upon a one more time? Um, no. But yeah, the fact that that's what is now in the marquee. This was obviously not nominated for any Tonys, right? So did you also take up pottery or? Yeah. See these jugs? We've got magic to do just for you. Consider the button hit. (laughs) The button is hit. Yeah. (laughs) Tap that button. I'll tap your button. Ooh, tap it. <laughs> Ooh, don't threaten me with a good time. Um, so this was actually funny. So I watched this with our um, resident theater ghost Ooh, this sure. the second time around sure. that I watched it for, you know, all the reasons. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> thus quote the theater ghost oh, the first oh, like, no. 15 minutes. Oh, no. This was obviously not nominated for any Tonys, right? <gasps> And then, mid-show, thus quote the theater ghost again, I changed my mind. The show is brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good. I'm glad the theater ghost changed his mind because I was about to come over there and open up a can of whoop-ass and be like, (laughs) Alex Brightman even talks about, he's like, I am two-time Tony Award loser Alex Brightman. So he was nominated two times for Tonys. And never got anything. This was also a funny thing that I got into a fight with a theater ghost over. (gasps) Oh my God. I had to concede because I think he's right. (laughs) (laughs) Wah, wah. (laughs) So I'm going to pose this to you right off the bat. I think I had another meme moment with this show. (gasps) Did you? Okay. Like the candle is not to warm her fingertips. It is. For for drugs. drugs. So... In your mind, <laughs> in your mind, and I'm going to let's let's talk about the Sorry. film okay. specifically. Sure. Less about this, but we'll we'll focus on the musical once we do our do our shtick. <laughs> in the film, are Barbara and Adam alive and or sort of stuck in between? In the end, I more so think they're on the side of alive back alive versus dead like ghosts is where i land and apparently that was my mentality all my life interesting and i was very quickly corrected so what do you think are in your mind are they still ghosts so here's where i land on this i think that they are they are i mean obviously they're still dead but I think that they are leaning more towards ghosts. And the only reason I say that is because at the very end, when Lydia goes shake, shake Sonora, she can only do that because of Adam and Barbara. They're like, yeah. she's like, so can I? And he controls like the radio with all the things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I have like a fun, maybe something to pose with this. So let's, let's do this in our actor's nightmare section. Cause I think this, this warrants a discussion. Fantastic. I love so a good perfect. discussion. So I guess we have to then take this from, from the top. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of From the Top, your favorite musical theater cast and review. My name is Mary. And I'm Steven. And today on the marquee, we are discussing the one, the only, the iconic Mary's favorite of all faves, Beetlejuice the Musical. Doing a show notes. Doing a show yeah. notes. Uh, Oh, I love, I love doing show notes. Like, it's just like, I, it's so funny. Cause like, I love the main episode. The main episode's delightful. Like it's super fun to do, but like having time to ruminate and think about it and be mortally wounded at the fact that like you were so adversarial to me with this show, but I now come back. was. <laughs> You, but you at were. the same time. But you know what, honey? That's okay because, again, we've talked about it. Like, you are 1,000% allowed to do that because if we just spent time talking about musicals we both liked, no one would listen to our show because it's just that's two theater fair. nerds being like, oh, my God. Oh like, my God. why do we love this show? It's like, no, you're a person with your own opinions, and while they may be wrong, I'm going to let you have them. <laughs> 
I'll let you have your did you like yeah did you like that I snuck that in there on you there you go you're welcome I like the show in fact I would venture to state I love this show well good but again I just have notes for the librettist I'm just like (laughs) why did you make these choices well I will say that at the very beginning of the show Beetlejuice does say and such a bold departure from the original source material that they use that as like we know that we're screwing it up but hey Catherine o'hara endorsed the show and she even showed up and watched it but and we always talk about um when you take something from one medium to another you have to make changes sometimes a storyline that works in film doesn't always work on stage so you have to make things work yes and but i I realize i just don't connect with anyone in this show and maybe that's why i'm having a hard time calling this a go-to musical for me and I think that's why, like, you have a connection with Lydia and, like, I, the most I could connect with is maybe, like, with Barbara and Adam. And maybe that's why I'm harping on it so much. And I realize that. That's fair. Like, m- my motto in life is, like, live and live well. And I try. Like, yeah. I try to live every day to its best and take advantage of that. Yeah. So me having, like, this idea of the Maitlands not be the main focus mm-hmm. is probably why I'm, like, angry at it. But <laughs> I can't. But I like the show that is presented to me, but again, just not source canon. So what do you do? But I mean, and again, like that's the that's the whole magic of theater is like there will be people who absolutely love and hate a show. And I think that that is what, again, speaks to the idea of theater as an art form is like if you ever feel tepid about theater or you feel lukewarm about it, then it, it it's in my humble unasked for opinion, it is something that did not that did not strike any chords because people were so tepid about it. It's like you theater should uh, elicit, uh, it's going to sound bad, but should elicit a violent reaction, whether it's good or bad. It should be good or bad either way. Yeah. Yeah, And if you're just sort of coasting in the center, are you really a good show? Exactly. It's not, mm -mm, that's, that's being safe. And theater is not about safety. Shouldn't be. Yeah. I agree. (laughs) Yay. I got an agreement (laughs) in the first five minutes. Yay. Well, oh my god. <laughs> um I guess we should maybe get into so some of the stuff that we talked about like as always our first show notes of season 2 um we need to go over some of the things we got wrong. So I think we need some notes from a director. If it isn't asking too much, will you please show me a little? All right, now, once again, give it some. See, for this director specifically, I would actually love to meet Alex Timbers because, like, I follow him now on Instagram and I see him. He's directing, like, a lot of stuff. Like, he just directed the um, the Netflix special that John Mulaney did, Baby J. Like, he oh, totally yeah. dropped, like, a bunch of stuff on his Instagram about it. And, like, he's been involved with Moulin Rouge, Here Lies Love on Broadway. Like, I mean, he's done... A lot of stuff, and he responded to one of my comments on his Instagram page, so I thought that was super neat. Um, (laughs) But I don't know, like I think I would love to like talk to him and get, um, you know, get his perspective on some stuff because like you you can only imagine what kind of burden that is as a director to know that you are departing so kind of uh, in a massive way from the original source material and how to take that on and still be like you know respect to it but then also kind of like forging your own way and making something new with something that exists like I can't imagine what kind of stress that puts somebody under or well and it's because I think the the me's of the world were having a conniption (laughs) good use of the word conniption right cheers so but but again I think a lot of people weren't able to let go of their ego and realize no this is actually a great show totally (laughs) so but yeah that would be a really interesting conversation yeah hmm well, um, let's see. So corrections. Uh, I apologize when I was rattling off all of those names of who could have potentially been Lydia in yes. the source film. Um, I said Justin Bateman, not Justine Bateman. Oh, I. Yes. Yes. You're right. That did happen. <laughs> Yes. I know. I was like, wait, that's not that's not correct. You're like, Hold, so please. that was a spelling error on my part. <laughs> and I just <laughs> said said Justin. So fair enough. Um, yeah. But we're not talking about Bateman. So Patrick Bateman. <laughs> so. Oh, my God. Uh, do you have the right business cards? <laughs> do do I? Yeah. Our next one. We totally skipped over our experience with this show. Oh, my I mean, God. Clearly, we did. <laughs> 
clearly, we saw, I think we sort of went over yours a little bit, but I would love it set in stone. Mary, where did you find this show and how did you get acquainted with it? So I got acquainted with this show because of the Try Guys. <laughs> no way. So the Try Guys totally did a video that said Try Guys audition for Broadway. And the oh, show, right. the show they were auditioning yeah. for was Beetlejuice. And so when, because I, I follow the Try Guys and I try to watch their videos. Um, they come Wednesday and Saturday and they did their first video that came out where they were auditioning. And I was like, I didn't, at that point, I didn't really know that Beetlejuice was a musical, but like I saw it and I'm like, okay. So of course I got obsessed because they're auditioning for Broadway. And then I started seeing like them going through the process and then Alex Brightman showed up to do it an acting exercise. And I was like, um, I'm in, let's go. And I bought in immediately. <laughs> But like it was super cool to watch them do that because it was a two-part episode where they would audition. Then at the end of the episode, they announced who got the role. And Keith Habersberger got a walk-on role uh, to be one of the movers in the very opening scene when the movers come in to like remove all the furniture when Beetlejuice is trying to tell Adam and Barbara, hey, you're dead. Nobody can see what you're doing. So like, I mean, go to town, but they're not going to recognize you. So Keith had to go through rehearsals and he did all these things. And he had costume changes. And above all the things that he did... In this whole like, I think it was like a period of probably like a week, I think, between like auditioning and then going through rehearsals and being in the show. Um, the very end of it, when everybody comes in to do, you know, jump in the line and shake Sonora for their uh, curtain call, you know, the principals come out and then the uh, the ensemble comes out. And then, you know, of course, Beetlejuice and Lydia come up from the lift at the bottom. Um, but then they all do this big bow and they gesture to the orchestra and to Sandy the Sandworm. And then Alex runs over and grabs Keith and brings him to the front of the stage. And he goes, Keith! And everybody just starts clapping and just absolute mania. And the curtain comes down and Keith walks off stage and he goes, oh my God, that was so cool. In another life, I would have done this. And he's like, it's the top 10 experience of my life but he chokes up right on that sentence where he's like, this was so cool and I can't believe I got to do this. And that's the moment where I went, Tyler, we have to go see this show. And so I'm looking for tickets and I'm, and I, then they announced that they were closing and I was like, Oh my God, Tyler, we absolutely have to go. go, And so then we, yeah, we were able to snag tickets for December and they closed in January, but like it was all because of a try guys video. And then I binged. This is is post the man who shall not be named because he's a piece of shit. This was absolutely post, you know, post POS indeed. Yes, so yeah, perfect. they've they've added new people uh, to kind of step in to kind of fill that fourth role. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so then I started binging um, the soundtrack without really knowing the show, and then. I thought it's really great because um, I kind of take what we do in this when I've never seen a show. I'll listen to the soundtrack first and then I go watch the show so I know where oh, the music yeah. comes. And not knowing that there is really a huge gap of time um, between when we do um, Mama, I'm Home and Creepy Old Guy. Like, I thought Creepy Old Guy was the finale of the show. But, like, you've got this really good chunk of time between those yeah. two. And then you've got another good chunk of time between Creepy Old Guy and then Jump in the Line, Shake Sonora. So it's like... It was so cool to see it, to have the pieces and not really know the picture on top until you got in the theater. So anyway, <laughs> that was that that's that's me. I love it. I that's that's actually a really fun sort of source story of how one right. gets involved with the a musical guys. actually that's watching fine. another viral video from a from a YouTuber. Like that's yeah. fun. <laughs> it was if you have a chance, you should really go watch it because there was like I, I actually have watched oh, have you? that entire yeah. Sure. So um my experience, I the I have zero. Like it's zero. Mm-hmm. The only thing I physically remember is in 2018, 2019 or whatever, when this launched on Broadway. Sure. I just remember thinking, how's that gonna work? <laughs> um because I remember thinking this is definitely a spectacle show it's going to have to have a lot of gimmicks and i was not disappointed in the amount of gimmickry Mm -hmm. that that (laughs) entails so i love it even down to the fact that like they light barbara's fingers on fire so like that's that's amazing sure do you know so like the 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 spectacle of it is something that mm-hmm. I, I applaud one thousand percent. But yeah, that's that that was really my experience. I just remember offhandedly hearing, "Oh, Beetlejuice is going to Broadway," and then I went through like 
Oh, yay. No original musicals ever. Oh, we can only have films into musicals again. (laughs) (laughs) But then, you know, you watch it anyway and you listen to the music and you realize, oh, it's good music. So, okay, cool. Fine. Of course it is. And then uh, last sort of final note from a director. Uh, I just sort of want to apologize for the voice overlap. We were having a weird time delay. This is hard. Doing it 600 miles apart. Technical issues. What do you do? But you just got to keep going yes the show must go on the show <laughs> must go well and of course there's it's really all about timing too because there are some times where like we do this you know super late and so then and, like internet traffic is lower and so it's easier for us to be able to do this if yeah. we do it during prime time then all of a sudden both of our connections are down and it's like well that's super garbage but i mean <laughs> you know i mean luckily the, our master editor over here for being incredible and amazing can cut around a lot of that stuff but um yes there are some things yeah, that are it's really fun uh doing so because we sound like aliens when it garbles and i can't get around it all the time so every now and then that just anytime you catch like us sounding like aliens uh just know that's 600 miles apart and we're still doing this so yes because we're both amazing that's why Um, well, that's really all the notes from a director I had, unless you caught anything else in our episode. I was, I'm trying to go back through my notes to see, I mean, just besides us missing the experience, I don't really have anything. So I think, I think this was a pretty short note sesh. I'm about Fantastic. it. Fantastic. I love a short note sesh. Means we're doing it right. Means we're doing it right, girl. <laughs> or the director's just awful and not paying attention. Well, clearly that's not Alex Timbers. <laughs> so that means we are doing well. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I guess that allows us to get into the place that no actor really ever wants to go. Granted, I think this entire show is a little bit of a nightmare to some of the actors. They do thrive off of the screams, as it were. They do. So. Do you hear that sound? Oh, that beautiful sound. I will yeah. keep going. Don't test me. I know, no, I'm like, we need to cut off now okay Uh, so okay so like let's continue this conversation about uh the undead versus dead and living so i just want to throw it out there because me growing up as a little kid i believed that the maitlands had come back to life in this film interesting okay watching this growing up i that was my thought when they had their seance and like that whole ceremony sure um to me that was them coming back to life. Okay. And uh, when I was doing some initial research on this, but, you know, again, had to concede to the theater ghost. Okay. But I will say, I th- I think there is a place for this to live in a possible. So I'm going to throw this out and, you know, take it or leave it. Love it. Uh, this uh, Thomas Beto is a poet of like mid 1800s and a lot of the source words in this seance that they were doing this ceremony um come from his direct poetry oh interesting this this man was obsessed with the idea of not only death but resurrection so bringing back to life so i don't think it's an accident that they found words from this particular poet about resurrection sure when they're going through this sort of resurrection ceremony um, floating above, you know, the table in their wedding garb. There's a lot of ambiguity that sort of surrounds some of like what he's saying and how what's going on okay. per se, because sure. a lot of the the dead rise again or whatever, like sure. that sort of thing. And then Lydia shouts out, you're hurting them. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, no, 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 they can't feel a thing. It's like, but her actions in those lines make it seem like, no, clearly they're alive. Don't you see that? They can feel. Sure. And so there's a lot of, uh, I'm not the only one in the world that thinks they're alive, but um, <laughs> I know I'm, I'm thwarted on this because I do concede that clearly how would they have these powers? And that's why I think there's this weird in-between because sure. the ritual was never closed. Like they came back with all, all that sort of stuff. And like in this weird Beetlejuice moment of yeah. crazy, but <clears throat> I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting. And I thought that was something maybe to note that Otho quotes an actual poem uh, from Thomas Beto, who was obsessed with resurrection. Sure. And so I thought that was maybe something interesting to add. Up until that moment too, like the people who are living in the house don't actually see Adam and Barbara until that moment, right? Because mm-hmm. then the clothes come up off the table and they get to animate inside these things. So I think that, you know, it could be, it could absolutely be like a partial resurrection where it's like you are now 
now, you know, being able to be seen by the living because that's the whole crux of this thing, right? Is that they they aren't able to be seen by the living, and it's not until this res or the, this you know kind of seance happens that like you know, we're able to kind of break that barrier and have the dead see the living or vice versa, if you will. Um, but yeah, I, I think that they, they are still dead, but they have been, you know, brought back to life. And in yeah. the sense there's that some, there's in some form of yeah. some way, cause I think they're more than a ghost, but I think they're like, if you think about like at the end of the film, like, you know, Adam is like tinkering around and doing things and Barbara's like cleaning and doing a bunch of stuff. They're yeah. still able to interact with physical objects. They were able to do that. Um, when they, uh, came back at, for the very first time, like right after when they got back to the house after they initially died. So she was still able to interact with physical objects in the world, but it was just you couldn't she couldn't see herself, right? So like yeah. that, you know, I think that probably leads to the ambiguity because it's like the physical objects were never a barrier to them as ghosts, but like at what point is this? You know, are they ghosts versus spirits versus you know whatever other right. term you and can use. can they exit now? Are they still in like this sandworm? hell yes. if they step out their front door do they have to do they have to live out there like 125 years or whatever mm -hmm. you know still like these are questions i would love to know but you know you can't you can't answer everything you can't know everything but yeah so i just thought that was interesting and that is super I, it, neat. It, it was sort of like my childhood crashing down around my ears but i think Aww. there's still a space for me to like live with it and be okay with that sure. knowing now a little bit of that history but Absolutely. so but then in this musical I definitely think they're still dead. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. At the end, everybody can see everybody. There's never there's never that moment of having a resurrection ceremony. We substitute that with a spirit box, trying to yeah. do the whole the gay hate crime, as it were. The gay hate crime. Yes. Yeah. But we do get to see Barbara like levitate and sort of do this thing, and that's sort of her oh, potential my God. peril situation. That was... So it's a what call a out. It's yeah. a call Oh, back. totally. Yeah. Um, but it's it's almost again sort of a footnote in the bigger story. Yeah. And it's not like the thing. That's maybe even a little unclear in the film. Yeah. In some ways. So yeah. I'll chalk one up to the musical for clarifying some chalk stuff. Chalk so. one up to the musical. So in this theme of the actor's nightmare, right? We we always talk about when you know. So when you think of an actor's nightmare, let me pose this question: When you think of that term. What is the first thing that you think of as an actor? What is your personal nightmare? Someone getting injured and having to fill in like within 30 seconds. <sighs> I love the fact that that's what you led with. So an actor's nightmare with this show in particular, for those who may not know, um, Alex Brightman actually sustained a concussion on the show That's on Christmas Eve. Right. So he was supposed to run out of the front doors. The doors would not open. So then he ran off stage right and had never done that before and ran full force head on into the metal rigging that holds on to Sandy the Sandworm who sits off of upstage right. And it was not glow taped, not spiked. And so he slammed directly into it. Right. And proceeded to do the rest of the show completely Ugh. fine. Like he was like, ow, okay, that was dumb, but we good. Did the entire show. On Christmas Day, he woke up and he put this, either he tweeted it or put it on his Instagram. He was like, it felt like 10 years worth of headaches all on the same day. Oh. It was the worst head pain I've ever had in my life to the point that obviously he probably shouldn't have gone to bed that night, but he yeah. did and he's fine. But he posted the next day and he was like, I have sustained a concussion. I am out of the show for the next two weeks. Um, Cause at that point, you know, going back to one of our shows in season one, talking about the difference between an understudy, a swing and a standby. He mm -hmm. had all of those three people that would sit in the green room and, you know, for every single show and they would sit and they would wait for, um, you know, that opportunity, I suppose, is a really bad way to say it, but that moment where they would have to step on and do yeah. that. I absolutely want to get these names correct because swings, standbys, and understudies all absolutely deserve their, you know, proper shout outs. They um, are the so, unsung heroes. Oh of, my like, God. Seriously. All of Broadway. Yeah. Um, let me, I am going to look up names actually, really fast while you're yeah, doing that. Yeah, sure. The, and this is perfect because this is funny because so uh, I was watching a lot of different clips of different Beetlejuices now that you say this. Mm -hmm. um, Justin Collette. Who's actually Beetlejuice? <gasps> oh, on the tour right now. Yes, I've been watching clips of him 
play Beetlejuice. I'm in love with him. Right? And his portrayal. It is so different from Alex Brightman. It's so but it's good. still the spirit of Beetlejuice. And I'm like, absolutely. I kind of, I not, I know you love him. I kind of like his more. Like he makes me fall in yeah. love with the character of Beetlejuice a little Aww, bit more. That's he, how he says his jokes is delicious. I think in a world, I will just um, let Justin Colette be my Beetlejuice, and you can have Alex Brightman. I that's think that's great. Fair. I, you know what? I, I can concede that. I'm, I'm really actually very excited for us to see that touring show and to see right. him in this. Oh my God. I just can't, I can't wait. I think it's going to be delightful. You're going to be here in Portland, 2024. You're going to be here. Oh, you better man. be. I'm so excited. Oh my God. You have no idea. The folks who stepped in for Alex when he uh, went down with his concussion, there were several people cause they traded um, kind of on and off. Cause as we know, Alex Brightman is a mutant and he has said so uh, because of something called false folds phonation. Um, he is able to achieve, the Beetlejuice voice without him damaging his vocal cords. So this is a skill that if you have not practiced it and it's not something that you train to do a lot, you're going to hurt your your voice pretty immediately. Um, and I learned all these terms from my vocal coach, Mike Ahrens, who is like incredible. And he doesn't listen to the show. But if he did, he'd be like, hey, Mike, this How is for you. How dare he? I know. <laughs> um, so in order to make sure that people were still staying healthy and that they were able to, um, the show was able to continue, they had multiple people who stepped in for Alex um, among those, Will Blum was uh, the one of the swings for Beetlejuice, and then also, uh, excuse me, Andrew Kober was another swing who stepped in, um, or he might have—I'm sorry—he was the understudy. Um, and then Elliot Maddox was also another person who portrayed Beetlejuice. Um, I think he maybe had one or two performances, and then I believe there was also a vacation swing, um, Sean McManus. But there, there were—it's literally the just the epitome of coming together as a as a group and making sure that the thing that you've worked so hard for continues on even when one of your own is injured. Seeing that was just like watching him post that on his Instagram. First of all, I'm thrilled that we were able to see him before this happened. Right. But yeah. also just so, I mean, because it's devastating as a performer, not only because you've injured yourself, but then like you inadvertently, I'm sure you probably have felt this too, that you feel like you're letting down your cast because you can't be there, right? Oh, 100%. So. Yeah. I've, now that I'm thinking about it, I've never <clears throat> had to miss a show except once. And it's because I was double booked because I was in a different variety show. Oh, as no. As to the show I was doing. <laughs> and like, so I, we had to find like a cover for that evening. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, but luckily the part I was playing was easy to cover because oh, one of my friends had uh, done said part in high school. Sure. So it was like riding a bike, so it was fun. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Well, thank God you've never had to leave due to injury. So Yeah, I've, I've been lucky that way, but I've been around and in casts where they're like, Oh, okay. What are we going to do? <laughs> Just kidding. They're throwing up in the bathroom because of the flu. Like, how are we going to cover this? What are we going to do? You, you, you make it happen. Oh, so my God. I love stories like that. So yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. Well, I guess sort of maybe some of the... the Topic specifically to this musical, the the sort of through line for Lydia is say my name. Right. And you're invisible when you're sad. So I think it's actually a great sort of coming together for not only Lydia, but then Beetlejuice sure. to have this idea of say my name. I think in our, our episode, we talked about how saying a name gives it power mm -hmm. and, you know, you you feel validated in a lot of ways. Um, what do we think is the crux for Lydia, her father not being able to say her mother's name in mm -hmm. a way, but also is it, I feel like that was more the focus of this musical. She She's almost saying like, say my name, do you even see me? But she's also harping on the fact that her dad's not saying her mom's name. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, does it take away from her a little bit because she's putting on this onto her mom in a way. I don't know if that makes any sense of how I'm asking, how I'm asking that. I, I think, I think I can, that's okay. I think I gotcha. Um, I feel like it's again, you know, kind of c touching back on the thing that we talked about in the previous episode where it was, you know, it's the arrogance of youth, right? It's just, it's be, it's hyper focusing on one particular thing without being able to see kind of the rest of the world as it were for Lydia specifically. I think that it, it does, it does present a really good storyline in the sense that, you know, she is so obsessed 
obsessed with names, right? Her, you know, her somebody saying her name and then saying mom's name. And I think more than maybe saying a name gives it power, it makes it something you can't ignore if you give it a name. It gives it, you know, it gives it life. It gives it purpose. It gives it an identity. And I think that's really what Lydia is going through this entire show is an identity crisis. Like she, she tied her identity so much to the relationship with her mom that then when mom died, she adopted this new identity of I myself am strange and unusual and no one will ever understand me and right like like teenagers who lose parents do um but I I mean the name concept tying it to who you are and what you are to other people I think is kind of an underlying part of Lydia's journey I really kind of appreciated that it does kind of branch out to different people you know the whole when you're invisible when you're sad like do you do you no longer have a name when you're sad because people are like oh yeah that sad girl who's over there like do they forget who you are so I think it was it was really cool to kind of watch her explore that too and I mean even like bringing it into like Barbara and Adam in a way because I think they feel they sort of go through this in Barbara 2.0 they they talk about how like they're not going to be remembered for anything and that's super sad because Mm -hmm. they were so sort of typical in their life and yep. on on so afraid to take risks and go live mm-hmm. so that's sort of what they do they're like hey we have 125 years here let's make the best of it yep. so i think even saying your name and giving it life and saying their names people who say their names aren't going to be overly excited about oh the maitlands were so crazy cool no sure. their their legacy is going to be they were kind of fuddy duddies so <laughs> The most exciting thing that they did was go to the, you know, art supply store to get paint. And right. <laughs> and and Barbara liked pottery, but she didn't really like pottery. She only thought she liked pottery. Look at her jugs. <laughs> So that moment when like, when it's just, she comes out and says that. And then to watch Alex literally turn 180 and looks and he's like, ah, damn it. And like walks off stage (laughs) was just so, so funny. Right away. I said in our episode, this show isn't dark to me, but it is very irreverent. Oh, 1000%. Even with this sort of dumbed down version of whatever this Boston show was when it first previewed. Sure. But it's still very irreverent. I mean, it really is. Oh, like you talk I mean. About it. This is a great segue. The lyrics in the show are catchy and smart. Oh my God, the they're so smart. The lyrics in the show, so smart. They freaking Giving slap. Giving houses enemas. What? What? <laughs> Flush out all the breathers, you can breathe easier, stick with me, I'm like a ghost zombie Jesus. Right, (laughs) ghost zombie Jesus. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot deny that these songs in this show are catchy as hell. Oh, 1,000%. smart lyric writing. So I want to give credit where credit is due. While I might hate the script and choices made there, the songs are solid. Oh my gosh. And I cannot take that away at all. I have to know, like, what's your favorite lyric of the show? Or what are lyrics that you're like, excuse me, what is this? Like, I'm sorry to derail the thought, but I gotta know, because it's very funny to me. The whole of Fright of Our Lives, (gasps) I I can't, I can't, like, pinpoint, like, oh, this lyric is so, the entire song, Mm Mm-hmm is just smart. And, but then Say My Name on the Roof with Lydia mm-hmm. is so clever because I feel like this is where Lydia gets to shine. Sure. And get, have her moment in a way. Like, she's already saying Dead Mom, which she gets to show her vocal prowess, mm-hmm. and that's amazing, and sort of we get her I want in a way. Sure. But Say My Name for her in that moment, too, it, we get to see how smart of a girl she is. Mm-hmm. And that's cute to me so it's it's a weird flip-flop because i love beetlejuice in fright of their lives Mm -hmm. with all how he's trying to fix the maitlands essentially and be (laughs) scary and his little soliloquy in the middle but i (laughs) but then i do love lydia's say my name bits in there and i can absolutely see why it went viral on tiktok uh just for those because i think it is i very identifiable and um you can relate. I, I love that you said Fry Their Lives because there, there are two moments in that song that like whenever I'm singing through the soundtrack, which is usually like at least once a week now, in the very beginning. Once a begin- week, once a day. 
okay, I was trying to make myself sound normal. Uh, and he goes, whatever it takes to make him go crazy, raising the stakes by punching a baby. And he like mimes this on stage right. and goes through that whole thing. But then, yeah, when he does a soliloquy, um, why God slash Satan did you send these bedwetters even like a tax attorney would have been better? Somebody yeah. with gravitas, somebody to fear who, uh, excuse me, Mr. Beetlejuice, we can kind of hear you. Yeah. Well, that was a soliloquy. So you're the one who's being rude. <laughs> you're the one who's being rude. <laughs> the fact that he pulls out this bedazzled <laughs> microphone just from a pocket of his jacket, and then all the ensemble comes on, and they're just like the doing chorus. the ooze. Yep, they're doing Church the chorus. Oh, it's hell so yeah! It's just, yeah. I mean, yeah, there are a lot of epic moments in that show, but that one for me was very much like um, he's being a campy asshole, and I love it. Like, let's go double down. I lo- I love clever songs, and those two are like peak clever to me. Oh, absolutely. So fun, weird little fact. Miss Argentina is apparently based on the 1939 Miss World pageant, Miss oh, Argentina. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I tried to look it up. I can't find any scandal or whatever surrounding it. Oh, like no, dang it. <laughs> no reason or anything. But I thought that was maybe an interesting fact. She's supposed to be from 1939. Miss Argentina Interesting. Is. Okay. Yeah. All right. Maybe kind of going with the sort lyrics are catchy situation. Some of the quotes in this are hilarious. Oh my God. I've actually said this before and I don't know, maybe it was like through the theater realm Uh this got passed down to me, but years ago I said something similar to this effect of, uh, there are two types of people in this world, new car smell people and old book smell people. (laughs) You sure did. And then the Lydia and Barbara and Adam are are like, we're old book smell people. People. (laughs) Um, Referring to the book of the recently deceased, but sort of thing like you can apply it to like anyone you can look at someone and be like oh you're a new car Car smell person person. yeah Yeah. that's true (laughs) i mean i will unabashedly say that i am a new car smell person but i i love the smell of old books but for some reason just the the, a new car smell is just like like it's possibilities ozone yeah Mm. mm, it's tasty I'm such um, a dork. I admittedly am an old book smell person. I lo- and this is why we compliment each yeah. other so well. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It just, it um, but even more than that, like line, the uh, Dolly Levi, where he hands his business card. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Thank you. Hello, Dolly reference. Thank you. Oh, it was so good. It was um, so good. I would be remiss if I didn't say fuck Brigadoon, because <gasps> that's perfect. Oh, my God. Because, that's no, right. Literally. I said it. No, actually, fuck Brigadoon. <laughs> no, really. Fuck Brigadoon. No, no, no really. really. No, but like really. No, really. <laughs> That's right. It's not. It's, I, I, I kind of mean that, but we'll probably cover it one day and maybe I'll change my mind. And so. maybe you will. And that's fine. But I mean, who, I like, I, I actually saw it on uh, this group that I belong to for, you know, all of us, you know, beetle heads that are just like friggin' obsessed with this thing. Somebody mailed Alex Brightman a playbill for Brigadoon and mailed it to him. <laughs> he literally just wrote fuck Brigadoon and like crossed it out and wrote Beetlejuice on it and then signed it and sent it back. And I was like, what an iconic moment. Like just, I uh, am dead. That's icon. Amazing. It was so I'm good. recently deceased by that comment. That's yes. amazing. <laughs> fuck Brigadoon. And then this was the funniest stupid thing. And this is me. I shouldn't even like talk about it because this is fully for me. Well, you're going to. But the, Adam draws the door to the netherworld. Mm-hmm. And it has always killed me inside watching the film growing up where Adam is drawing with a chalk on on those bricks. Mm-hmm. At the top of the door, he hits a brick and it goes askew like at the top mm-hmm. and it's off. It's off. It's always like grinded my gears because I was like, you could have done a retake. Why didn't w- this is the cut that you decided to put in this film? Like as a four four year old Steven is like going, oh. what the hell? Why didn't you redo this? Because that door is not straight. But Adam in this musical, when he draws the door, says Little crooked, meh. So he calls it out. And I literally had to pause and catch my breath to be like, I feel so validated right now. (laughs) I cannot explain to you the like... (laughs) 
year, decades of like animosity towards this askew crooked chalk line suddenly melted away by Adam Yay. in his musical saying, <laughs> little crooked. Eh. <laughs> but like under his breath, maybe it was even an ad lib. I don't know. But the actor playing Adam made my life. I just need him to know that. So I want to give a little bit of time. What do you think we didn't cover in the show that you want to talk about? Because oh my this God. is your favorite show. Oh no. What do you think? What What's an aspect? What's something? My gosh, I feel like I've waxed poetically so much about all of this that I'm struggling to find the thing that we didn't talk about. You know, again, just kind of touching back on the technical standpoint of the show, um, I watched a video that someone had taken an Instagram video of a stage manager calling um, one of the numbers and he was calling Fright of Their Lives. And I've been a stage manager for a long time. Have I ever called a show to this caliber? Absolutely not. But just watching this stage manager have the ability to, he has a metronome that was sitting on his stage manager podium. And so then, you know, he's tapping along on his table and he has to prep a cue and then call it and prep the next one and call it. And it was just the whole being dead thing part two. There are so many things that happen in that number. Yeah, I think they're in total, the show might have had over, I think it was like 1500 light cues or some ridiculous number like yeah, that. I was going to say that's well over a thousand cues there. Yeah. No, easy. Easy. And it was just yeah. because there are things that go like we've, you know, obviously the band has to get cued and then we have lights and then we either have a sound effect or a um, projection or some sort of transition and all of that stuff has to go seamlessly. And it was just, it was unbelievable to kind of just see that from a backstage perspective. Obviously, it being my first Broadway show, I didn't think anything less, but it was really nice to kind of see it validated going, there is so much that the audience has no idea. That's why these shows go off as well as they do. I think the the biggest takeaway for me from this whole experience was the camaraderie that this group of people felt specifically. Because of course, what did I do in my obsessive mode? I follow all of them on TikTok because why wouldn't you do that? I mean, I could go on and on. There are, I mean, you don't have enough hours. For the first experience of seeing a show on Broadway, the technical prowess, the acting prowess, the musical prowess, and the camaraderie among everyone, stage, crew, and actors, alike was just something that is beyond this world, which is a great, it's a great place to be when you're telling a story about the hereafter. Well, and I think this is really cool that this is probably the newest show we've covered thus far as, you yeah. know, as what's has what's debuted and what's new in the ether sure. of the, you know, theater. And I think it's fun that we kind of got to hone in on such specifically the thing that everyone has been able to see and like even this touring group and you know it's it's going to be the same and you yeah. know it's not available necessarily to you know regional and community theaters yet so yeah. um, this has been kind of a fun departure for us to talk about something so specific and the show that everyone's been able to see so a dearly um, departure <laughs> A dearly departure? Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> this is clearly going to hit the ether where more people are going to be able to do this. So I think it's uh, maybe time to look at maybe who could do this with a quick cast. Okay, if you could play anybody in Beetlejuice, who would you play? Oh, jeez. I mean, like, Adam calls to me, but Beetlejuice would be amazing. Oh like, my of course. God. Oh, my God. Steven, you would smash that. You would smash it. Ooh, I love that. Okay, whoever I, I had up for Beetlejuice, his, I'm just going to make it I you. Do, Forget it. I don't know. I don't know. I do think everything in this show is within my range, so... That's fair. That's to quote fair. my vocal coach yet again, everything is in your range with enough training. That's fair. That's Mike Aaron's with fair. Sunlight Studios. Woo! I'm going to call you out two times. I'm going to make him listen to this now. It'll be very funny. There we go. Anyway, moving on. It was whispered in the ether to mine ear that we should have two selections per person because it makes it a little bit more intriguing to go I have an A and a B choice I have an A and a B cast I can do all of you know my various and sundry shuffling that I want to so uh some of these Stephen <laughs> my my so again before we continue you do have for ex your executive prerogative you have a 
pin, you have a veto, and you have a swap. So you are able to do all of those things with whoever I present to you. So beginning the uh, at the top of the order, we will start with our titular character. We will start with Beetlejuice. Here is who I have for you uh, for consideration for Beetlejuice. David Harbour. Okay, fair, fair. So David Harbour, we, so I have firsthand experience, that, or firsthand experience, I know that David Harbour can sing. So there are many things that he is in that he does have musical prowess, so that's great. The other person that I have for consideration uh, is Henry Lewis. So Henry Lewis is one of the actors in the troupe that does the Goes Wrong show. Oh, yes. The large bearded dude, that guy. So those are your two considerations for Beetlejuice. Um, are we making this into a film or are we popping this on a stage somewhere? You know, I think we're going to we're going to pop it onto a stage, I think. OK, well, ergo, I'm probably going to have to say Henry Lewis then. I'm liking this vibe. I'm liking this look. And he's hilarious. He's so, so funny. I'm into this choice. Fantastic. I don't know if you're going to like me after this. It's fine. Um, so let's dive in. After Beetlejuice, we're going to give you Adam Maitland. So your two headshots for Adam Maitland are Matthew Morrison. Oh, my God. Okay. Or David Allen Greer. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Now, you can okay. also, if I give you the Barbara... You could then choose the Adam. I was gonna say they're they're a, a dynamic duo. Maybe I do need all options here. Oh God, you're gonna be so mad at me, Barbara. We've used we've I've put her up for consideration before, and I think we may have cast her in a couple other things. We might have cast both of these people in a couple other things, but you know what? When you know the talent is good, you got to bring it back. Got to do it. So Barbara, your options are Philippa Sue, okay, or Sutton Foster. Oh my God! You can't. <laughs> I had you wasted to wasted her right away in this because you know I can't say no. It's not to a her. waste. Take it's that back right now. Foster. Here's here's I'm gonna go David Allen Greer, and I'm gonna go Sutton Foster because <gasps> I think that works perfect. Oh, I think that works perfect. Cute, that's such a cute pairing. I love that. Uh, going into Lydia. Now again, one of these people we have used before, but I think um, just. Her kind of presence, I think, just matches the character pretty well. So your two considerations for Lydia, I have Ellie Fanning. Okay. Or Sophia Lillis from It in 2017. Yes, yes. But I think for this particular role, I think it both could of... could be good. Yeah, both of them, I think, would deliver very well. So I'm going to go Fanning with this. Okay, I like it. I like this. Um good. What was she? She was in the um, Ma Maleficent, right? I, She's Sleeping Beauty? Yes, I believe that's true. Beautiful. Okay, great. Well, now let's move to, if Ellie Fanning is Lydia, here is who you have for Charles. This is going to be where I have a bold departure from the original source material. <laughs> okay. Daniel Craig. Uh, 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 okay. Or John Hamm. <laughs> what? Yes. Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh my God. I'm trying to get like the tall, older guy, salt and pepper could, yeah. you know, it's very like, you know, I wasn't going to put Henry Cavill on this freaking stage, but like oh. I could have like, you don't know. <laughs> I um, told you, you weren't going to like me for these. Uh, second one. John Hamm. John, John Hamm. Hamm. I like John Hamm. I can do um, John I, I, yeah. <gasps> oh my yeah. God. Then you're going to Flip and lose your mind then if we're going to do this for Delia. Ready? Okay. Shifting violently back to Broadway. Violent shift. Okay. The two headshots that I have for you for consideration for Delia. Lindsay Mendez. <laughs> okay. Or Adina Menzel. What the ever living. <laughs> Can you imagine Adina Menzel as, as Delia? I can't, I can't Can you imagine? choose that. Yeah, it's oh, Adina. It's, it's gotta so be Adina. Good. I love Miss Lindsay, but I think Adina is great. She and would literally smash it so hard. Adina Menzel and Sutton Foster in the same show. I know. Shoot me. You would die. I'm dying. You would be dead. I would have I, to resurrect like, you. It's fine. I want to die and just haunt that theater and watch it every night. <laughs> 
So then um, sliding over to Maxie Dean, remembering that Maxie Dean is kind of a little bit of a side character. He's the one that's going to like finance this whole thing. And he's the one that Charles is trying to suck up to. Um, Again, we're shifting violently back into the world of film um, because Maxie Dean, also the actor who plays Maxie Dean does have some bits in the ensemble as well. Um, But I thought that both of these characters kind of fit the look of what we were going for. I've got Paul Giamatti up for Maxie Dean and then Jonah Hill. <laughs> Jeez. Um, no, I actually like a Paul Giamatti for this. Paul Giamatti. I think, okay. that, I think that look looks. I think it looks looky. I like it. It looks looky. Yes. I like it. Now we got a little bit of a, a little bit of a mix here between film and stage for Juno. The caseworker who ends up, we find out, is Beetlejuice's mama. Right. Uh, and first, she's also double cast as the side piece to Maxie Dean, right? Uh, correct. Yes. Yep. yep. Um, so <laughs> first headshot on the desk is for Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, stun, stunning. Stunning. So, yes. Okay. But up against Glenn Close. <laughs> Glenn Close. It's Glenn Steven's Close. Steven's just full-on walking but away I, from okay, me. You've, you've thrown Whoopi at me before. I have. Like this. But how do you not choose Whoopi? But Glenn Close would kill this. It's an A and B uh, cast. You have both of them? A and B cast. Um, I can't choose between these women. So, yes, A and B cast. I have to cast both. Fantastic. Four, well, four and four. Four and four a four week. And four there and we four a week. Yeah. And yes, I sing like this eight shows a week, but um, so now that we know that Delia is Adina Menzel, here is who I have for Otho for consideration. Otho. Your gay hate crime. First headshot on the desk is Jack Black. (laughs) Rude. Okay. Sorry, but wait, wait. Up against Alan Cumming. You're so mad at me. <laughs> you can't see, but I'm dagger eyes. Um, totally dagger eyes. I mean, of course I have to go Alan Cumming. He would kill that. I mean, like I could put Stanley Tucci up there for sure. Oh, God. And he was actually one of the other people that I considered for that. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to swap because I, I do think Alan Cumming would be great in this. So now your last two characters that kind of just hang out in the world that your producer, unfortunately, was not able to really find headshots for is the Girl Scout and Miss Argentina. So I okay. don't know if this is something that like you want to just put those, you know, as ensemble members or do you have people sure. that you think? Um, um, The first one who comes to my mind, I feel like we've cast her in a couple things, but I think she would rock uh, Miss Argentina, especially Mm -hmm. coming off of West Side Story um, with America. I want uh, Ariana DeBose to to do a cameo as as that. I think that would be great. Yeah, I agree. I was hot. Uh, I went to parties a lot. You know? You know? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, just maybe find a drag queen to play that because it would be phenomenal. No, who was, was who was the drag queen that did um that did Major Mama Morton in Chicago? Oh, Jinx Monsoon. Yes, Jinx Monsoon. Oh my God, no, done. Jinx Monsoon. That's it. I, Jinx Ariana, Monsoon. I love you so much, but I mean, uh, we, yeah. you know, yeah, oh my She's God, a drag. She's a Portland drag queen, actually. Oh, That's where she got her okay. start. She kind of lives back and forth Seattle, but she always claims Portland is home, and I love That's that. So. Freaking cool. Everyone hated that. her again. Everyone was like talking down to her, like what you're offering is weird and different and you shouldn't do this. And she's like, I know. And now she's the drag queen. She's so. the thing. Um, so then the Girl Scout is the last thing. And I actually just had this thought as we were talking. Who was the actress who played Tina in Ruthless? Because she would be great in this. Ooh, she would be. And you would ask me this right now. Let me... Look at up. Anya Evans Fabulous. played Tina in that Broadway HD version that we got to watch. So. I think she would smash that immediately. She would absolutely, yes. Okay. I was born to entertain. Uh, I'm still reeling that Britney Spears was... Have we talked about once upon a one more time... Um, no, but the, yeah, the fact that that's what is now in the marquee 
makes my heart kind of sad. I don't know. I'm trying not to like judge. I would love to like see it. However, if my main girl is not called Lucky, that's an immediate but, out. But but apparently it's based on like Disney princesses and stuff. And I'm like, how does this work? This is what? a story about a girl named Lucky. And that's perfect. So many of her songs are built for a musical and tell that story. Yeah. But like, you better have a new freaking princess named Lucky. And that should be your through line. Mm hmm. But you know what? Again, here I am, dramaturging. <laughs> you can be wrong with your wrong opinions, and that's fine. <laughs> Not you. You saying that to yes, everyone yes, else yes, if yes. there is no lucky. I okay. Sure do. <laughs> well, then here is your final quick cast for the revival of Beetlejuice. Uh, Beetlejuice is Henry Lewis. Adam Maitland is David Allen Greer. Barbara Maitland is Sutton Foster. Lydia Dietz is Ellie Fanning. Charles Dietz is John Hamm. Delia is a Tina Menzel. Oh, I so love that casting. She would kill that. She would literally slaughter it. Maxie Dean is Paul Giamatti. Juno is f- four shows on, four shows off, Glenn Close and Whoopi Goldberg. Otho is Alan Cumming. The Girl Scout is Anya Evans. And Miss Argentina is Jinx Monsoon. So good. I would literally watch that show every performance. All of them. So good. Every one of them. One more thing we can do where we go into a magical, mystical, malevolent land called What If? It's so dark. Because of sandworms blocking out the sun. <gasps> but is it Sandy? Because I think I have an in with Sandy. Like, I can just tell her to, like, take us like take us home when we want to go home. We can we can use Sandy to go home as long as you don't sure. run into just knock her three times. Draw a chalk door. It's yeah, fine. exactly. Yeah. I mean, she, I mean, it's fine. Just actually, really have to scratch under her right molar, right underneath here. She'll literally cool. flop over into anything you want. In this beautiful m- mystical netherworld of sorts, this um, netherworld, yes. this netherworld of sorts. If we could change something about this show and run it a different way, what would you want to see happen? Yeah, how would it affect it? I'm gonna pose this. So what if Charles and Delia were already married? So we're going back to the source material. Yeah. Like, okay. let's, let's see how this would change in the dynamic of this. Sure. So number one, the announcement of marriage is what makes Lydia want to go jump off the roof. Sure. Where she meets Beetlejuice. Yep. Let's say my name. So that's big change number one that I can tell right away. Yep. And I think the uh, one of the other big changes is we wouldn't, well, maybe it's not a big change, but like we wouldn't, would there still be a reason for Delia to have her song, Everything Happens for a Reason, where we get to learn the things about her past that have led to her where she kind of is now? And would she still have the connection or try to have the connection with Lydia if she's not in the role of a life coach, but in the role of stepmom? Right. You know, because we had talked about in the initial episode, it, it, the the threat of marriage makes her go over the edge because there was a separation, you know, between Lydia and Delia because Delia is in a quote, I guess, being paid to try to spend time with Lydia to to be her life coach. I mean, that is her goal and her purpose. If we take that away and we bring it back to the source material where she is already integrated in the family, there is now a different sense of animosity where it's no longer you're trying to connect with me, but you're only doing it because my dad told you to versus, well, I'm still trying to connect with you, but now I'm doing it in a way where it's not any, it's, it's unavoidable. I am already part of your family. So why won't you just like, let me in? I think I'm trying to like put myself in Lydia's shoes and try to see like how I would feel. I would absolutely feel because she says the line about like trying to take the place of my mom. Mm -hmm. And I think if they were married and she was continuing to try to have this like mother daughter relationship and like push that agenda a lot, I think from Lydia's perspective, it would harp on that aspect even more because like, oh, now you are my mom. Mom quote. Mom quote, yeah. So is it is she doing it out of, you know, that maternal thing what you, that you're supposed to do? Or is it because this was what I was initially hired to do and so it's bleeding over into that? So there, there really is this weird line blur with that. Yeah. I wonder then, so then thinking about that kind of trajectory, if we have already introduced her as part of the family and let's say we don't have the song 
everything happens for a reason, then at the, towards the end of the show, when we have this beautiful kind of redeeming moment where Delia is like, I don't know what's going on, but I, but I want to be a part of it. And she kind of like steps up and like does that. It, do we think that it would hold the same weight if we don't know her past? Does it still show like character growth? If we don't know that Delia has gone through all of these things before she met Charles and now she is maybe not as ditzy as we thought she was. Right. Yeah. You know, do, how do, do you think that affects that or is that just kind of a moot point? No, I don't think it's a moot point because I th- that song that she sings really does reveal so much about her and why she is how she is. Sure. She is choosing to bury her feelings with optimism Mm -hmm. and is is that just as bad as ignoring it Mm -hmm. so that's interesting to kind of think about because i we know that lydia's really smart is she seeing that Mm -hmm. her interactions with this she's like she has this whole spiel about like something to the effect of we're essentially on a rock flying through space one day we are going to die and be sucked like we don't want the whole thing so i think she does have this weird um relationship toward optimism in a way because i think lydia's scared to feel good again yeah because she doesn't want it to be ripped away when you're in the thick of it and grief is all you know and grief is tangible it is hard to think that there will be a day that comes that you don't need grief to fuel your life it's really interesting to kind of have to turn over that leaf when you realize that grief isn't the driving force it's not it's not a healthy thing to root yourself in and that it's It feels really good when the day comes that you are able to speak about those that you have lost with almost with a sense of reverence instead of a sense of rage or loss or sadness. And that's really powerful that you said that, because I don't think it's until that that point where, you know, Lydia has that moment where she's like, I'm going home. That is, I think, her acceptance of that. And she's like, I don't I don't need this anymore. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Well, I think that was a fun little jaunt to our magical netherworld of what if. I think it's delightful. And uh, okay, so Sandy's here, um, but you better hold on, Stephen, because um, she uh, she goes hard. I, I definitely knocked my head out. I'm going to need reprieve for two weeks. Oh, so, good. Who is um, your standby? Who's, who's the sub? Uh, I don't, can you shift personalities and pretend to be me for two weeks is that a thing um i'm really gonna have to work on my steven impression because like like we'll work on it we'll work on it yeah okay okay well uh that wraps up beetlejuice any last thoughts anything you want to add right in the 11th hour oh my god the 11th hour ad the little slip of paper that goes into your playbill when it tells you that people are subbing in for other people tonight i am so thankful to have been in the room to see this live It was an excellent first soiree into seeing Broadway in action. Thank you to you for giving me this opportunity to be able to kind of relive all of these beautiful memories and give this the life and the space that it deserves because at the core of it, it is a universal story that deserves to be told whether or not you are living or dead. Things like your name, your identity, how you deal with certain feelings, how you deal with things like loss and change and um, kind of losing yourself to then find yourself again. All of those things are super important and they're timeless themes that will continue to kind of permeate theater in general. And sitting in that room, the air smells different when you sit in a theater on Broadway. That sounds really stupid. When I when I sat down and I took in a really big breath, my heart just started fluttering and it was like, you're about to see something really cool. So you better buckle up, babe, because it's it's going to take you on a ride. And it totally did. And it gave me everything I wanted and gave me some things I didn't want. And I am forever changed for the experience. And it was really, really good. I just reiterate everything you say. And I'm I'm glad. I think if anything, this show is cemented because I said at the top of this episode that I I don't necessarily identify with some of with these characters. Like sure. it's not that's not my go-to thing. But I think sure. what it, this show does for me is it is that fun romp. It is that escape to a theater and it's a, a traveling to another world for a couple hours. Yeah. And if anything, it cements 
because of my stance on life. Like I try to live and live well. And um, it cements that fact that great. You only have one life. Live it. So did you also take up pottery or? Yeah. See these jugs? (laughs) (laughs) Well, my darling, my love, I'm going to sit here in all of my feelings and just sing the soundtrack in my brain. Um, You gave me a clue last time and I did. Honey, what? Help, Help a girl out. I know it was super obscure. I'm here's my here's my goal. I should have been nicer with this because that was my note to myself. I'm going to give notes or clues about the show's content from now on. Okay, not physical like facts about already knowing a history of of said show Interesting. Is, is my goal with this season okay so um so i apologize for this clue but uh, yes this show we're covering next time has been transcribed into 21 different languages because of its worldwide popularity i i mean oh my god it, i mean obviously it's not phantom because we've already covered that yeah and it's not technically a show about death or in a death genre so <clears throat> Uh, what if I said phantom adjacent? Mm-hmm. Phantom adjacent? Um, no, I'm still in the dark. Help me. Well, just brush up on your French, Mary. We are traveling to a revolution <gasps> into Les Miserables. Oh, we're doing Les Mis. Oh, yeah, we're much doing to my Les chagrin. Mis. I never got to see the show when they did it in my hometown, but do you want to know what's funny? I went to an auction on Friday night and I totally won one of the, um, I think it was one of the original like posters, one of the show posters from when they first put on Les Mis in some theater in somewhere else. I got to send you a picture of it. It's delightful. Literally no won. Way. Yeah, totally won that at an auction. And also posted a video on my TikTok, the whole musical thing, which I feel very badly that I don't know half of those musicals, but the, the algorithm knew what we were doing because because Beetlejuice was the last musical I got in that third video. And what do I choose to sing? Barbara 2.0. What do I Love choose it. to sing? Adam's part and not the <laughs> not Barbara's part. <laughs> anyway, so it's very funny that the universe kind of knows what we're doing. Because, like, I'm getting Les Mis and I got Beetlejuice. And I'm just like, meh, this is great. Anyway, I will brush up. I don't know French at all. So I know Merit. That's you, it. If Mailed. you want to brush up, just listen to our Pippin episode. and Pippin. Pippin. <laughs> Oh my god. I'm going to be incorrigible. Yes, I'm so <laughs> excited. Well, uh, that's excellent. So before I mean before we shuffle off into the netherworld and tell our stories to all the people who need to hear them, will you drop our socials for those who are listening? Of course. So, um, if you want to write us an entire book of the recently deceased, uh, please drop us an email at podcastfromthetop at gmail.com. Or if you just want to slide right into our DMs, get a little bit of that Beetlejuice. We are from the top underscore podcast on Instagram. Excellent. Well, folks, thank you again for joining us for another episode of... From the top! A Wandering Unicorn production. So, Brigadoon's boring, but why does Beetlejuice hate it so much? It's said that you usually hate the thing that you're most attracted to, maybe he's really attracted to like boring stuff. That's right, I said it. Fuck Brigadoon. <laughs>